Hey everybody, this is Matt McCullough coming to you with a historic moment in the history of Trinity Church, the first ever recorded podcast. It's taken an international pandemic to draw us into the use of this technology, but here we are, nevertheless, unable to meet with each other. Uh, I'm feeling the, the loss of that after a couple of weeks that we haven't met. And trusting that one of the things the Lord is doing for us as He's taken away our ability to meet together is teaching us how precious it is to be able to meet together. What a great gift He's given us in commanding us to meet together. So one of the things we thought about doing uh, to make the most of this opportunity, not just to, to sort of grieve the loss of this season, but to claim it as a chance to, to um, grow together as a congregation, one of the things we thought about doing was a, a series of podcasts that go deeper into what we do when we gather. Not just the things that God has commanded us to do, though we'll, we'll cover that, but also some of the choices we make behind the scenes about how we do what we do when we gather. Because one of the goals we always have um, is, is creating as much buy-in as we can get uh, amongst our church on the precious things that, uh, that we share, that we hold, understanding the whys behind what we do. So this is the first of what will probably be several uh, little podcasts on the things that we do when we gather on Sundays. I don't know about you guys, but the, the thing I've been missing most so far two weeks into this is congregational singing. So that's where we're going to start with this first podcast. We're going to talk today about congregational singing, why we do congregational singing, why we do it the way that we do it, and the ways that you guys can can help us to create the culture that we're trying to create with God's help. Uh, so that's where we begin today. And to do this, I uh, to do this conversation, I'm joined by two of my very favorite people. I'd say two of my favorite people overall in any category. But if you were to narrow down the categories of people to a subcategory of those with whom I talk about congregational singing, I'd say these are my two very favorite people in the world: Dave Hunt and Matt Merker. Hey guys. Hey. Hey Matt. So, uh, so Dave Hunt needs no introduction to you guys. Dave is a, a founder of our church. Uh, uh, he's been leading us in singing every week from the very beginning. He's beloved by all of you. Um, so I'm going to move on from Dave and introduce you to Matt because most of you probably don't know Matt yet. Some of you may do, may know him, but probably most of you don't. Matt is a member of our church, uh, has been for about a month now. Is that right, Matt? I think that's about right. <laughs> Something like that. You're not a Nashville native, new to Nashville, but only sort of new to Nashville, right? Went to college here. Yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. That's you, how I met you. That's how we met, and your wife Erica was also in college here at the same time. When was that? Yep. In the early aughts, 02 to 06. Okay. And we were all at Grace Community Church together back in those days? Yep. Uh, and then, uh, And then for the last... 10 plus years, 10-ish years, you guys have lived in D.C.? That's right. And then moved here um, towards the beginning of this year for what job? Moved here right in time to basically hang out at home alone in a time of <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> uh, moved here in December to work for the Christian hymn writers, Keith and Kristen Getty. Uh, they're from Northern Ireland, but they have offices here and a lot of their staff live here, so moved down for a, a new job opportunity to serve them and the, the sort of things that they're doing around writing hymns and trying to encourage Christians and churches to to sing good hymns. So you do some hymn writing yourself as well? Yeah, I'll try to. That's uh, not—what part of your job portfolio with the Gettys is actually writing versus 
other things, conference planning, building out online content, the, r- the other range of your responsibilities? Just a little bit of, of formal time is given to writing. Most of it is the things that you mentioned. I'm trying to kind of build out what they do to help train worship leaders and pastors mm-hmm as they think about singing and and about the corporate worship gathering. So as you said, helping them with their annual conference, uh, with an online learning portal that they've made, and and some other initiatives around sort of training the church. Got it. Got it. And then before before taking this job with the Gettys, you'd been on staff at a church in D.C. for how many years? That's right. Nine years I was on staff at a church called Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And a big part of your job on the staff was helping to coordinate the people who were involved with the congregational singing, right? That's right. The folks playing music, putting the bulletins together, helping our pastor with the order of service each week, all those sorts of things. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And then uh, last thing, just to get to know you a little bit before I ask you about your family, just on the, so- on, the, on the topic of congregational singing, you have recently finished a book, haven't you? That's right. Not yeah, exactly about congregational well- singing. But well, it touches I, on it. I finished a book draft. We'll see what happens to it next. If the publisher, <laughs> you know, wants to move forward. It's a book on the whole worship service called Corporate Worship. The church gathers as God's people. It's really looking at the idea that in order to understand a worship service, we need to understand what a local church is. So if we begin with the biblical view of the church, it helps understand us understand and explain what's going on when the church meets on Sunday mornings. So I talk about that from a, a bunch of different points of view, and then the final chapter is on how that influences our understanding of singing in particular. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to read it, brother. I mean, Dave has read it and has told me really good things about it, and I'm looking forward to the chance to read it. Thank you for spending some time working on that. Yeah, well, Dave gave me a ton of good input and feedback to make the, the book better, so thank you, Dave. Well, I can't wait for it to come out. can't wait for people to get to read it. Well, one of the sweet things about having Matt here in town is that he's already been a dear friend to me and to Dave uh, over the years from a distance, talking shop about church leadership and about singing in particular. And and now here he is uh, in our own congregation. Thanks be to God. Hopefully you guys out there who haven't had a chance to get to know Matt and Erica and their children, uh, Lena and Isaiah, will get a chance to do that sometime soon once it's safe to see one another in person. <laughs> For the moment, I want to shift from these personal introductions to the topic of the day, which is congregational singing. Um, I think we should begin by talking about what the point of singing in a congregation actually is. What's the uniqueness of singing as a congregation as opposed to singing on our own? Well, there's a whole lot that is different uh, when we get together as a congregation. First of all, it's multiple voices unified, um, specifically in a congregational singing setting, singing truths about the gospel. Um, I listen to Christian music, but I also listen to music that's not Christian. So a lot of times, one big difference for me is the content of the songs is uh, it's centered around who God is and what he has done for us. And so I think that's one of the differences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, also, I mean, God ex- oh, go ahead. oh, go ahead, Dave. I was going to say the other thing about us being together is it's an opportunity for our voices to be unified literally synchronized, which I think is is really different than a lot of times when we sing otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Matt, what were you going to say? I agree with all that. When you look at the Bible, God clearly expects his people to gather as part of who we are. That's why it's so odd that we're not gathering right now. These are unusual times that we trust in God's sovereignty. He knows what's going on. He's, he's sovereign over all. 
but normally uh, Hebrews 10, 24, do not neglect to meet together. Uh, and we saw, we see in the old Testament, God brought his people together because of who they were as his covenant people. He had made promises to them as a nation, as a group. Uh, and it's the same with us today as the church. We relate to God, not just individually, but corporately. Uh, and so when we gather, there are specific things that God calls us to do together. And singing is one of those. Uh, so it's it's kind of like baptism or the Lord's Supper. You, you can't do those things by yourself. You can't baptize yourself. You can't take the Lord's Supper alone by yourself. Those are things that the church does. And when the church meets, we're also called to sing God's praises, as we see all over the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in, in, in Paul's letters, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, we're told to sing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing to one another. I think one of the interesting important things to tease out a little bit is who's the audience for our singing when we come together on a Sunday morning. Um, is, is, it, is it God primarily that we sing to, or are we primarily aiming at one another? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, passage in Ephesians 5 says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. And so I think we're, we're singing to each other, but we're also making melody to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And actually, I would add to that, when you look at Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So clearly, we are addressing God, thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right. We're addressing one another, as Dave said from Ephesians 5. But what he says is, when we do all this, the word of Christ is dwelling in us. So in a sense, God is also addressing us. Yeah, yeah. God is speaking through us right. as we sing. And so our mouths are open, but our ears are open too. God is talking to his people through the songs that we sing. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it helps me to think about what we do when we sing in our congregations as a part of our role as God's ambassadors in the world. You know, that's another one of Paul's favorite metaphors for us. As Christians now, we are ambassadors on behalf of God, pleading with others to be, you know, to be at peace with Him, to enjoy all that He is for us in Christ. That, that singing to one another is an ambassadorial kind of thing to do. And it's, it's a priestly ministry as well. First Peter talks about how we're all priests in God's holy temple. Uh, so it's not that, as wonderful as Dave's leadership is and the other volunteers who sing and, and, and play instruments, it's not that they are mainly the ones ministering to us from front and their their ministry is kind of washing over us from the stage. They are serving and they're offering God and us a very valuable ministry, but we're all ministers. We're all priests. That's, that's what a priest is, a servant who blesses the whole people of God. So they're doing that through their instruments and through singing in a microphone. We're all doing that just by singing the songs together yeah. Yeah. at the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. an opportunity for us to share the gospel with each other and disciple each other as we're singing these truths about God. We get to teach one another in the process of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was you, Matt, who first I first heard talk about how singing, when you, when you come together as part of the church, you as an individual member, when you participate in that, you should think about that as an important part of your personal ministry in the congregation. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, when you join a church, you also join the choir. A church may also have a choir, uh, but the congregation is the choir. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a service you provide, not just something you come to consume. I, I, I don't remember who, if this was you also, Matt, or 
Dave, you and I have talked about this before. I don't remember where this first came from. One of my friends, I, I love the, the, the metaphor that, that someone has given me at some point along the way, that our, our gatherings and, and, and the singing that we do when we gather are not like fast food, which might provide a kind of quick jolt of inspiration, but fades quickly. They aren't all, it also isn't quite so much like a five-star cuisine that we consume, which is really all about the chef, you know, and the refinement of the meal and the, you know, the skill that was involved in preparing it. It's a lot more like a potluck meal, which is com- right. comfort food served up by everyone for everyone. Um, that's what we do when we sing to each other. Yeah, and even if you as the preacher or Dave as the chief song leader are the ones who set the menu for the potluck and set the table and put the, arrange the dishes, we all have to show up with our dish. Yeah. We all show up ready to serve, even if you as our leaders are coordinating that service and kind of making it all fit together better. Yeah. 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 So on that, I mean, in leadership, uh, it's a potluck. It's served up by everyone for everyone. But as Matt's just said, there are choices we make, Dave. I mean, every week you and I are talking about what we're going to sing and how we're going to do it. And, and beyond the weekly planning of a service, we're also... We, we we spent a lot of time over the years talking about the philosophy behind our, our services that carries over from week to week. Yeah. So if the goal is to set us up for a potluck where everyone is singing to one another and to God all together, let's talk through some of the choices we make to, to aim at that goal. Yeah, there's it's been a real learning process for me over the years of thinking about congregational singing being more important than the actual production of the morning and it's uh, one of the things that, that is different than I've experienced in the past is the volume level of our um, instruments and our speakers, the actual audio speakers, not the person speaking, but the voices coming out of the speakers, that, that there is a certain amount of volume we want to have so that people can hear and be led, but there's a certain amount we don't want to have so that they would be able to hear themselves. And I think that's really really important to yeah. encouraging congregational singing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's more than just singing simultaneously. Right. Along to a, 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 along with a, you know, a, a really loud, upfront, heavily produced thing that, that drowns out the sound. It's singing to one another. To do that, you've got to be able to hear. And we talked early on about how we wanted the defining sound of our congregation's worship to be the voices of the congregation singing. So what are some other choices that we can make to aim at that? Well, you know, I've only been here for a couple of months, but clearly you think about arranging the songs in a way that make it simple and intuitive for folks to follow along. Uh, So I often think about the role of the musicians as not so much performing, uh, but accompanying. And when you're an accompanist, you, you still play with excellence and you still play to the glory of God. Right. But everything that you're doing is aimed at promoting the congregation mm. singing and cultivating their voice. So, I mean, I've heard you play guitar, Dave. You're an amazing guitarist. You you probably don't break out all the neat little tricks that you have on guitar on Sunday mornings. You actually hold back a little bit. And, you know, this is a musical town, so a lot of folks know that if you're in music, you don't always play everything, every note you can play, every song, you know. You you hold back, and if you're accompanying a, a country singer or a pop singer, you let the singer do their thing, and you, you back that person up. Same thing with the congregation. So the way that the instruments arrange, the instrumentalists arrange the song and approach their role is is aimed at helping the whole congregation participate. Yeah, and I think that goes along 
as well for vocalists because I think there are some people who could take the song and the melody and do amazing things vocally that could really wow people. But that's not very good when it comes to leading the congregation in the melody. If they can't hear where the melody is, then they're not able to follow. And I think that's important that sometimes the opportunity to perform needs to take a back seat to the opportunity to lead the people in the melody. Totally. And I think you, you accompany the songs in a style that is going to help us with our unity. So, you know, lots of people have different tastes in music. This is a musical town. There might be people who are really into country and bluegrass. There might be people into hip hop or, or, or classical and all, all those musical styles have, have wonderful aspects to them, but you're going to accompany the songs in such a style that although it might not be everyone's favorite, we can all sing along. That's the most important thing. Even if it's not the, your exact favorite type of music that you'd listen to. Actually, we have many, many hours a week when we can all listen to whatever we yeah, want. Exactly, you know, you exactly. can put your earbuds in and you can listen to the, the, the your favorite style. Chip Stam, who is a, a noted kind of church music professor uh, who passed away recently, said a mature Christian should be easily edified. Uh, so if we're seeking to grow in maturity, we should be able to be edified by the truth and the words, even if we think that the melody or the style of the song, that's not my favorite. There might be someone else in the church who really does appreciate that style of music. So it gives us an opportunity to do what Philippians 2 says and consider others as more worthy or more important than yourselves yeah, uh, for the sake of unity. That is, that is a great point. And something I've learned as Matt and I plan services together that he'll bring songs to the table that maybe aren't my favorite songs. In fact, some of them I'm like, I don't really love this song. <laughs> but what's interesting, there's been specific songs that I haven't really liked that much, but I've taken them to rehearsal, and the other band members are like, I love this song. I'm like, well, good. Somebody loves this song. We should do it. That's great. It's <laughs> and it's pushed me outside of my personal boundaries for the good of the congregation. Yeah, and I've had the same experience. I mean, Dave and I have different musical tastes in terms of what our personal playlists probably are. Um, There's some overlap there, but but, but, but a little bit of overlap (laughs) there, but there's also a lot of difference. And there are some songs that on my own I never would have chosen, but I've come to love because he does. And I love watching him lead them and experience them. And then I've I've also then looked around and noticed, oh, a lot of people like this too. I can get on board with with something that's helping everybody engage well with each other and with God. One of the things we we just accepted early on, and actually it, it's turned less into a concession and more into a target that we shoot at almost, is is that we we understand we're not going to be everybody's favorite style of music, and and we've taken the next step to just accept we aren't going to be anybody's favorite style <laughs> of music. That for the sake of unity, we're choosing not to really narrowly define the kind of music that we're providing. Mm. Even though we know what we're what we're doing is is culture bound, um, it is it is not fully accessible to everybody everywhere. It is more accessible than it could be if we had made other choices than the ones we've made. We've we've made choices to try to make it as accessible as it can be to a range of people. And I think on that it can be it's really important to recognize that some people will have a harder time because every church has a musical style. So Trinity yeah. does have a style, yeah. even if your style is intentionally simple yeah. or intentionally sort of broad or generic, some people have to make bigger sacrifices than, than others. Some yeah. people come in and they're like, eh, it's maybe not my favorite, but I can, I can get with this for other people. It, it's not the form of music that to them feels most conducive to, to sung praise. Yeah. Uh, and that can come from a variety of directions. For some people, it doesn't may not have enough rhythm. 
For some people, it has too much rhythm. Yeah. For some people, it may not be formal enough. For for others, it's not informal sounding enough. And so I think we want to always honor those who make greater sacrifices to be able to sing along. And sometimes it is okay to make stylistic adjustments and yeah. to say, you know what? We don't expect this stylistic adjustment to attract the masses to our church. I don't think style is a good way to, quote unquote, attract a different demographic. Um, but I've often heard musical style talked about in terms of hospitality, yep. that sometimes we can be more hospitable if we if we actually decide to to alter our style a little bit and get outside the box that we have. That can be an appropriate thing to consider sometimes too. Well, I think love is another category that's similar to the hospitality, totally. but, but it's a way to love one another. It would be a bad way to try to build a church because then you're chasing approval that you may never be able to catch. But, but asking what would love the people that are here well mm. is, a, is always a good question. Yeah. Well, and just, just to be real practical with that, I know that Matt, you and the other elders are prayerfully thinking about this Edgefield merger, and you're going to be talking to us as a congregation more about that. That's something for us to think about if that merger happens, wow. how we can best serve our brothers and sisters at Edgefield musically. Yeah. And how we can come together as one church. That's yeah. a huge area for us to pray about. Yeah, yeah. And overall, what we're saying here, an important underlying theme is that we want to approach our gatherings and the singing within them, not as consumers, but as providers. Mm-hmm. Our, our Everything in us, every instinct we have as, uh, as Americans, those of us who've grown up here, is aiming in a different direction. How, how well is this product suiting the needs that I feel? Or suiting the desires that I have, and and we want to flip that and say, what can I do to engage here and to provide something that will serve the needs of my brothers and sisters around me? I want to, I want to shift for a moment here over to the kind of songs that we choose. So we've we've talked a little bit about some of the back end decisions on volume and and uh, arrangement and instrumentation and 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 how some of those choices uh, factor in. Let's talk about songs themselves. How do we choose good songs? For a congregational singing context, what are we looking for? Well, first and foremost, I would like to have a song that's singable. Because sometimes it's you have a really great text and really great lyrics, but the melody is just not very conducive to congregational singing. And then within that, even having it to be in a key that is not going to be alienating majority of the congregation, but actually including majority of the congregation. So from a musical standpoint, those are two things that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Singability and then putting it in a key that works for most people. Okay. Well, every song that we pick is a, is a theology lesson. And so we are going to be able to remember the songs that we sing and memorize them I'm sorry to say this, Matt, more than your sermons. <laughs> really? We're, we're, we're going to take these songs with us. Your sermons are great, brother. But God has so designed music wedges things into our hearts and and helps us to memorize and and meditate on the truth. Um, So I like to think about songs kind of like a a museum curator. If you're running a great museum, there's only limited amount of space on the walls. Most museums have archives where they actually put works of art that they're not on display. As Christians, as human beings, we have a limited amount of mental space to internalize songs. So I think you know, you guys want to pick only the best, essentially. If everyone, if all of us can really know well 100 to 200 hymns, I've, you know, you're obviously not going to pick 
a thousand hymns, and, and that would that wouldn't be conducive to our growth in in Christ. Yeah, I think that's especially helpful to hear as we continually look for new songs. You know, that's yeah. one of the things Dave and I are working on even right now. Um, and and boy, that's a great way to think about it. That there's only so many that we could that we could ever really use. Yeah, and so. Newness, for newness' sake, isn't a good target to shoot for. We want to find ones that we think will serve people well. Yeah, to introduce too many songs often can be counterproductive in the church actually learning the songs we're trying to push forwards. Yeah. Yeah, you want to think about quality over quantity. But Scripture does say, sing to him a new song. There's there's something powerful about something that is a fresh expression of old, timeless truths. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the things that, that we've often talked about um, is that some songs are more suited to congregational worship than others, even when we're talking about songs that are all true. Uh, the Psalms are full, for example, of a lot of, of songs sung to God in the, that use a lot of first-person language that express a lot of emotional response to God, and those are beautiful. And we ought to be using those in our private worship, but that, but but that for congregational songs, we also want to be choosing lyrics that that everyone there can sing, no matter what they brought with them that morning. We're gonna. This is not hypothetical. Every single Sunday that we gather, you're sitting around friends who have had terrible weeks, and maybe a lot of those terrible weeks strung together. And you're sitting around friends that uh, some some of whom are struggling with very deep doubts about the truthfulness of Christianity or with spiritually dry seasons where they haven't felt much towards God in quite a while. And if our if our songs are all aiming at um, expressing emotions towards God, a lot of first-person language about me and my experience, well, as, as, as appropriate as those might be in, in a private context, uh, they're going to alienate some people who are there trying to sing yeah. because they can't sing them and mean them. So we've tried to emphasize things that are always true about God that you can sing in order to, Lord willing, uh, generate some emotional response to Him if you're not if you're not if you didn't bring it with you that day. Um, so songs that focus mostly on God and on the response to Him that we're called to, rather uh, you know, aside from whatever we might be experiencing in that moment. Yeah, I agree. The, the a lot of songs that we do are in third person, talking about who Jesus is, who God is, and then some songs we do in second and first person, but we are very careful about what those songs are saying. They're often talking about who we are, regardless of our situation, but who the Bible says that we are and who it's told us we are, and so that we can come before the Lord in humility, singing these things mm-hmm. that are true about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think what's important there is, Matt, is the idea of balance, uh, that when we look o- across the Psalter, and Paul tells us to sing the Psalms uh, in, in a corporate gathering. So I, I understand by that, and you and I may have a slightly different view on this, which is fine. I would understand by that that any Psalm and or, or something like it is fair game for the corporate gathering. But when you look across the whole Psalter, there's balance. There's songs in the first person singular and in the first person plural. There's psalms of lament and of joyful thanksgiving uh, and an amazing, intense emotion to God. But it's singing those things in balance. And I think it's what you do so well already, pastorally teaching us that there may be a song that doesn't jive with your current emotions and those are songs that are good for us to sing aspirationally. 
a song about delight in God and joy and confidence in his, in his promises, I might not be feeling that confidence, but I can sing it aspirationally because I know it's true. I'm not being false to myself. I'm singing it more as a prayer that this would be true in my heart. Yet at the same time, uh, there's going to be things that if I am in a season of grief or pain or suffering that I can sing honestly as well, because the Psalms model that kind of lament for us as well. Yeah, that's certainly a kind of balance that I want to go for, the balance of content between uh, lament and, and celebration, between thanksgiving and praise is absolutely a priority, and and, and gets to the, the structure of our services as well, that, that each week we're, we're trying to move from praise to confession to a, a word of gospel truth that leads us to thanksgiving to prayers to God that we where we ask him for what we need and then responses to his word even the structure that we use every single week helps to helps to build towards that balance that you're talking about well and another thing that structure does which is so encouraging is I can tell that you've you guys have always picked the songs so intentionally that they anticipate the themes of the sermon it's kind of like a photo negative of the sermon being imprinted on on our hearts in advance uh, so, for, you know, for those who have eyes to see or ears to hear, you're actually priming us for all the things you're going to be preaching out through the words of those songs. So it's a wonderfully unified uh, approach. Yeah, we're always looking for that. You know, it's not always available to you. You know, you do your best in, in, in choosing songs, but that's that's a goal that we shoot for each week. Um, and I, we only got a few more minutes here. Uh, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk before we wrap up about the ways that our friends, fellow members in our church, can invest in the culture of singing that we're all praying towards and working towards. So we've talked about this as a potluck where everybody serves everybody. Um, what are some specific things that, that members can be thinking about as they approach a chance to sing together? Lord willing, that will be a chance we have again at some point down the road. What can they bring with them as a goal for themselves? You know, I would say that I would really try to encourage our people, don't be afraid to sing out. Uh, what Matt Merker said earlier is this is an opportunity to be um, ministering to one another through this process of singing. And if we don't sing out, then that you may not get the chance to minister to somebody. And so don't be afraid to sing out even if you think you don't have a great voice. That's not what God asks us to do. He doesn't tell us to sing with a great voice. He tells us to sing and to make a joyful noise to the Lord and come also ready to worship and ready to participate. It's not a time to come and be entertained or to be a consumer, but a time to come and participate. And one way that you can do that, we have a playlist that we put out every Thursday that has the songs on it that are going to be done that coming Sunday. And so to listen to those songs ahead of time so that when you get there, you're sort of anticipating those songs and being ready for those songs and already having those in your heart and your mind mm -hmm. from the weekend of listening to them over the playlist. Not exactly studying for an exam, but kind of oh, like yeah, studying for an exam a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it would be helpful to get a good night's sleep on Saturday. Somebody gave me that advice oh, a long good. time ago. When I take it, I always get more out of the Lord's Day gathering, uh, waking up early enough to spend some time in, in Scripture and prayer, waking up early enough to care for the kids and get them fed, e honestly eating a good breakfast. Uh, we're embodied people. So, you know, this stuff might not sound super spiritual, but it does, especially if we're coming to serve one another, not only by singing, but through our words of encouragement, through praying for one another, ministering to the body. We have we want to come ready for that. And there's going to be some Sundays where we can't, and that's okay too. You know, that's the thing in all of this is 
there's going to be some Sundays where we come and we're ready and we sing out. And, you know, it's my prayer that we would all grow in that and that we would sing out because we know that somebody else needs to hear it. Mm -hmm. Someone out there needs the encouragement of congregational singing. They need to hear the gospel in surround sound. So I'm going to I'm going to sing out because someone out there needs to hear this. And then but recognizing there's going to be some other Sundays where I'm that person. And because of the trials in my life, I might not have the strength to sing very much or at all. My voice may be faint, and I'm going to let the praises of those around me be what carry me and sustain me. Yeah. So there's some. This isn't a legalistic thing where you must sing this at this number of decibels if you're going to be a really holy Christian. No, our our goal is to sing enthusiastically, yeah. uh, but there's sometimes when we can't, and that's when we rely on the on the singing of others and let them care for us. Yeah, I tell you what. I mean, the, among the most encouraging things I experience in a week is is not just hearing my friends around me singing on a Sunday morning, but I always try to, if I'm leading a service, if I'm getting ready to preach or what have you, I try to get up there a little bit early before the end of the song because I like to look out there and see people's faces while they sing. I don't care how awkward it is. I just love it. I can't get enough of it. And it's probably because I know these people. These are my friends, and I know what they're going through. I know what they, what's in their mind and their heart. Um, not perfectly, not completely, but I know a lot of what's in their mind and their heart as they're singing these words. And that changes how I hear them and encourages me in a way that, that nothing else does. Yeah, in a unique way. I, I definitely get the advantage of seeing the congregation and having walked with certain people through certain things and seeing moments in songs where it's talking about a certain aspect of who God is and seeing them break down. I, I almost I have to hold it together, which is hard sometimes yeah. to think they are being ministered in this moment by these words that everybody else is singing. And it's very moving for me to watch. And I'm not a good cry singer. Like if I'm crying, <laughs> I'm not singing. And so I've really got to push down tears sometimes or I, or my voice. So if, if I'm singing one morning and I just sort of back away from the mic, either I got something in my throat or I'm emotionally moved. So beware. Oh, okay. One other thing I'll say too is, Sometimes people can be a little bit wary, and it's something you can grow into, of ever sort of looking around and glancing at others while you sing. Like mm-hmm. usually our, we're going to be looking down at the words, or we're going to be thinking about the Lord, or we're going to be just looking up at the musicians who are leading us, or we're going to be trying to you know, get our kids to behave or whatever it might be. But there are times when I think it can be appropriate to, to glance around uh, and and see the people, especially if Scripture says addressing one another. So again, that might be something that's uncomfortable at first. Uh, But I found that to be a a wonderful kind of aspect of singing together from time to time. It's not that you're sort of making really long eye contact with one person (laughs) and sort of awkwardly (laughs) staring them down, but you're sort of just surveying the room and reminding yourself, hey, these are the brothers and sisters who have covenanted and committed to care for me and I for them. What a sweet thing this is. Yeah, amen, amen. I can't wait to do it again. I miss it. Me, Me too. too. Goodness. And I'm so grateful for the chance to do it and to lead in it alongside you, brothers. Thank y'all for making time for this. Uh, and uh, hopefully, Lord willing, we'll see everybody again soon. <laughs>